You know that meme with like the dog at the keyboard and it's like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like that's that's me with Browserify. I, I don't even know what Browserify is. So I'm just letting y'all handle this discussion. So this is the Laravel Podcast, and I'm Matt Stauffer, and I've got joining me... Jeffrey Way. And Taylor Otwell. So this is our second week in the new uh, new format, and folks have been giving us some really positive feedback about it, so we're really glad that you guys liked it. And uh, we've got another round of topics for this, uh, this episode, so we're actually just going to jump right into them. A lot of interesting stuff has been going on in the PHP world with PHP 7 and... Uh, scalar type ins and that kind of kind of stuff. So the first thing we're talking about is PHP seven. What's coming up? All the speed, you know, things that people have been reporting about the speed improvements. And I just want to hear what are you guys what are you guys seeing about PHP seven? What are you excited about? Are you worried about anything? What are your thoughts? Well, I'm really excited about the speed stuff because obviously, um, you know, the more performant the web applications are, the happier everyone is, and the it's all cakes and pies, as uh, Eric Barnes would say. So I mean, in some of the tests we've seen. Um, that just some of the PHP 7 maintainers have put out, you know, some applications have been almost twice as fast in terms of like, I think they used WordPress as an example, which makes sense. That's the biggest kind of PHP project that's out there. So when you talk about a, a you know, something being twice as fast as the previous version, that's a huge upgrade. I mean, that's, you need half the server resources basically to support your application. So that's really exciting. And then of course, um, scalar type hints, which was much discussed and, and debated before it got in. Yeah, I'm curious, Taylor, what do you think of the scalers? Do you care? Um, I, I assume I'll use them. You know, I already type hint um, arrays, so it, it would make <laughs> sense to go ahead and type hint strings and integers and all that. Are we lagging like really bad? No, Why no, are y'all no it, it made me laugh because when I was talking to Adam Wevin, when I was on his podcast, we had this very specific discussion about type hinting arrays, and I totally do it too. But it sort of came back to, like, there's—I don't do it for any special reason. Like, I wouldn't be pissed off if somebody uh, sent me an object that implemented Arrayable or something like that. So it's one of those things we just fall into. And I don't really care either way, but it just made me laugh because sometimes we do these things and it's like, are we getting a huge benefit from it? Or do you just fall into the habit of doing it? Yeah, and I mean, one of the things is you sort of assume that if you type in something in Array, anything that has Array access or accessible or whatever is going to be able to go in there. And that moment where I was doing that for everything, and Adam, who works with me, said, oh, well, you can't do that because it's not necessarily going to be an Array. In the specific context, I went, oh, my gosh, like it was a mind-blowing moment of, you failed me, PHP. And I, I cannot believe we don't have the ability to type in something and say that thing is type hinted to be either array or something that is array accessible or traversable or what ends up being called. That that feels like a big fail in the PHP kind of core. Yeah, that's pretty strange. And then there's also the uh, this thing called the context-sensitive lexer, which I'm sort of excited about that I don't feel like got as much press as maybe it should have, where currently in PHP you know 5, you can't have a method on a class called for each or or list or something like that because those are reserved keywords and PHP in the past has not been smart enough to know the difference of oh obviously you're declaring it as a class method we we should let you do that because you're obviously not trying to do a for each loop 
Um, so in PHP 7, you can actually have method names on classes that are like for each and list and stuff like that, which opens up a few more um, kind of common syntax things that you might want to do that you haven't been able to do in the past. So um, it made PHP a little bit more intelligent in terms of how it reads those those types of syntaxes. That is very cool. To be honest, I had no clue that had been implemented. I just don't see people talking about it. Because there's no drama surrounding it. Yeah, exactly. It's like if there's no drama, then nobody says anything about it. Yeah, that's cool. I've fallen into that trap many times. That'd be pretty useful. And then also anonymous classes, um, which are... It's a little, it's kind of a strange concept at first, but similar to anonymous functions, you can actually just create an anonymous class on the fly, which actually doesn't sound all that useful on first pass, but I actually had a use case for it just the other day where the pusher.com SDK for WebSockets to implement logging like so that you can log all these kind of debug information to a file to help you debug any kind of socket thing. You give it a class that just has to have a log method. That would have been a perfect opportunity for me to just have an anonymous class to pass right in there with a log method. Otherwise, I mean, as it stands now, I had to actually create like a class with one method called pusher logger and just with one log method. It was all kind of silly when I could have just passed an anonymous class right in. So that'll be pretty cool, too. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because my first thought was like, oh, this I can imagine uses for this like when testing your code, but nothing immediately came to my mind like in production, when would I actually use this? So yeah, that, that does make sense. A lot of what I think about in terms of how I use features is uh, just because of my life is how do I use this in refactoring legacy code bases? Because I do that a lot. Both it's Maya code and somebody else's code. And I, I could definitely see the danger of me overusing this because every single time I see an associative array passed around that I want to convert to an object so it has a little more, you know, uh, I don't know, just I, I, passing myriad associative arrays around with no knowledge of what their keys look like or anything, that drives me nuts. I feel like it's, it's, it's the old way of doing it and I always fall into trouble with it. So a lot of those times I'm like, oh, now I can just create an anonymous, you know, uh, class for that thing and I can pass it through. But the problem is if I overuse it, there's going to be anonymous classes everywhere and you don't know what they have. So I feel like there's going to be some best practices we figure out of where is this the right chance to use this and where is this you really should just go create an actual class for that. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see kind of what how we suss out what those are actually useful for. So PHP 7 speed improvements. I want to talk about that for a second. Um, when we think about PHP, I tend not to think about the speed of the language. And honestly, I don't even tend to think about the speed of the framework as often being something that's really at the top of my mind. And I know that that may be true, true, different for different people. But when I'm thinking about PHP, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's not like, you know, a .NET or especially not a Rails where I have to worry that much. I can throw it on some shared host or some really simple, you know, you know, one gig VPS and I'm basically up and running. And I, of course, I scale, but usually scaling is more about you know, disk or database or whatever versus the actual performance. And of course, that's not true for everybody. But in my world, the actual performance of just the script seems to be just less of a concern there than any other language that I work in or even versus like JavaScript. Um, so I know that Taylor, one of the things that you were working in, in in the latest version of Laravel was optimizing, you know, you're shaving milliseconds and even maybe tens and hundreds of milliseconds off of the route caching, that kind of stuff. Um, so do you have any sense of what sorts of things are going to benefit most from this kind of stuff? Or is it just kind of like speed across the board is better and we all win? I haven't heard any specifics, so, so I'm assuming it's just pretty general speed improvements. Of course, in a Laravel context, probably one of the biggest wins will be Eloquent because 
when you pull down eloquent objects and we spin through to see like which attributes are mutated or not mutated or and then converting stuff to arrays, we have to do all that stuff. So just general like loops and checks like that, making those twice as fast will be really nice in an eloquent world because if you pull down about 500 models, that's pretty expensive to mutate and convert all of those to an array. So that'll be pretty nice. Cool. That's great to hear. Well, there's a lot more I want to ask you guys about that, but oh, sorry, Joe, Jeffrey. No, it, it is funny though. Like just in terms of speed, I'm sort of with you, Matt. Where it's like I don't, I don't focus on the the performance of my PHP that much. You know, like you remember back in 2007, where it's like every Roundup article related to PHP was was talking about like are single quotes or double quotes faster? Every single big site, including like NetTouch where I worked and uh, Smashing Mag, which one is faster? And and people decided single quotes were faster, but then. Uh, then it was revealed, actually, no, double quotes are faster. And then it's like nobody actually talked about the fact that it just doesn't freaking matter whatsoever. And it's like if you would focus on the size of one of your images, that would be infinitely a better use of your time than, than you know, using a for loop in PHP versus a for each or, or just the ridiculous conversations people would have back in the day. It's nice that like that doesn't even enter the discussion anymore at this point. I remember when I first came into PHP, that was one of the first discussions I read was single quotes versus double quotes. And now my perspective with Laravel has always been, I want to make the code as as easy to use and as nice as possible because the speed works itself out over time. You know, as we're seeing with PHP 7, just a couple years later, we're fixing to get a two times speed boost with Laravel. So all of that is just a matter of hardware and, and stuff getting faster over time. And then, of course, improvements to the language. So... Yeah, I mean, even with like Forge, I have it on one like four gigabyte server and the CPU sits at like 10%. Like it's just like nothing. And that supports me full time. I mean, it's a pretty a pretty heavily used app. So yeah, it hasn't been a big yeah, concern of mine either, but I'll take it. Yeah, so let's uh, let's keep it moving. Um, so the next step is talking about um, Elixir and Browserify. So Jeffrey, could you talk a little bit about what's kind of going on there? I sort of want to add a Browserify task to Elixir, but to Core. And this is a tough thing because it's like there's all these different tools we can use. And when Taylor and I were building Elixir, that was like one of the first things we had to deal with is, well, if you release with, you know, SAS and less support, immediately somebody will want Stylus. And then they'll want the next thing. And before you know it, it's like if you just appease everyone, you're supporting a hundred different tools. And it's like that's not really useful to anyone, right? So, like, we had to decide, like, okay, th- these are the main things we're going to launch with. And then if you want something else, you can either, like, mix in your own task or you could create an extension and then just download that through NPM. But I've been starting to think, like, it might be useful just to have Browserify out of the box. There's all these benefits we could get. Like, if it just comes out of the box, well, one, we can recommend it as a best practice. Two, we can allow Laravel users to use things like ECMAScript 6. They can just start using it now, and we can set it up so it just automatically compiles down to to regular JavaScript that any browser can understand. So there's like all these benefits. It's not something I've done yet because I wanted to talk with you guys about it and and the community in general. But I also I just wonder like, well, if we do that, then people are going to immediately ask for, we'll do something similar for Webpack. And then you end up with that exact conversation all over again where everyone wants every single tool to be included in Elixir. And that just doesn't make sense. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on that? I love the idea of the opinionated default. Um, and I, I think that even just choosing less over SAS for the default, but providing a fallback to SAS was really interesting choice that I actually appreciated a lot. 
Um, and uh, doing frameworks is always about like both providing opinionated defaults and then allowing flexibility, right? Allowing the ability to do whatever the heck you want, but out of the box, it's going to do X or Y. And that's been a lot of the conversation about, do you include bootstrap or not? Do you include gulp? Why didn't you include grunt? Why didn't you include, you know, rake or whatever? And it's, you're, you're making decisions every time you do those things. And somebody who's really happy with grunt might be frustrated that elixir is in gulp and then they can just delete elixir. And of course you can always use that justification to say, well, I can do whatever I want. Just delete if you don't like it. To me, right. Browserify is best practice. It is the it is modern. It is it is an evolution of the previous like loading options that we had, and it satisfied a lot of the frustrations that we had to deal with the other ones. Um, it's not to say like, well, it's the best, so everybody should be using it. But it clearly has a lot of best practices that it brings in, especially for someone who doesn't know that world. It's the easiest to onboard for me. So for me, when I look at it, I'm like, it's the one I want to use because it's for me, it's a better experience than the others. It's the one I'd want to introduce a new person to. So it's not only better in my eyes, but it's actually easier to learn. Um, and it's this is a modular system where at any point, someone who knows enough to already know a system, they're already more likely to be the type of person that could create an extension and say, hey, if you're really interested in using it in Webpack or whatever else, go along, bring it, release it, maybe even PR if it, pull, uh, pull request it if it's something that belongs in core. So my gut response is absolutely. I mean, I feel like the one of the best things Elixir does is it opens up technologies to people who might not be comfortable with them by saying, look, there's so much you got to learn to learn Gulp. There's so much you got to learn to learn, you know, even CSS preprocessors. Here's a fully functioning one. Go learn it and expand and develop opinions later. But you're up and running instantly with Elixir. And I think bringing Browserify could do that same thing. Yeah, it's amazing with Elixir. It's amazing how many people responded with like, well, if you don't know how to use Gulp, then you just should give up, you know? And it's like, well, you know what? That's a little bit of it. And, you know, you can say it's easy, and it is, but at the same time, you have to research everything. That's why you see all of these gists up on the web where people keep saving their Gulp files because they use it from project to project. So one is like, well, it's easier than Grunt. It's very clearly easier to use Gulp than Grunt. But then just... Another advantage is, like, I don't want to think about it. If most of my projects, I'm just simply, like, compiling some lesser SAS and I'm merging some files and that's about it. It's like, why would I recreate a gulp file for every single project when I can make two method calls within using Elixir and you're done? You know, it's like people, once again, like, you focus so much on the fact that using gulp isn't the hardest thing in the world and you're not focusing on the fact that Elixir just makes it so easy that... It's not anything you research. It's not anything you have to think about. You're just done. It's a non-issue. I think in general, that's what makes Laravel so good. It takes these things that you generally had to research a lot, whether it's like caching or session handling or tons of stuff, and it just makes it a non-issue where you don't even have to think about it. So, um, yeah, back to Browserify. Taylor, do you have any specific thoughts on it? Would you have any reason to say, no, we shouldn't add that by default? Because I know you're you're kind of... okay. I can tell you're leaning towards no. You know that meme with like the dog at the keyboard and it's like, I have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing. Like that's that's me with Browserify. I, I don't even know what Browserify is. So I'm just letting y'all handle this discussion. Okay, that is the beginning of this episode. Nailed it. <laughs> so Browserify is one of those those loading tools that makes it really easy to load in external modules of JavaScript. And so it's the type of stuff that if you're in Node and all that kind of stuff, you're going to be using a lot more. Loading external JavaScript modules should be really easy, right? Because you just add them to your like package.json and then you use npm install to require them. But actually bringing those modules into your scripts is actually surprisingly difficult. And there's different loading standards that have tried to make it easier, but often they're easier if you're willing to learn their whole thing and then you have to totally change the way you do it. 
because it's not really how you write other JavaScript because it's exporting something in a kind of a weird way. But okay, you learn it, whatever. It's not that hard to learn. And then there's these other restrictions about, well, how does it know which files to pull? And it's just, it's, it's, it was like Grunt, right? Grunt was much better than not Grunt. Or even if you're using Ray before, it was much better than it was before. But with, with Grunt, you had to learn this whole kind of weird JSON-based configuration syntax. And you type the wrong comma somewhere and everything totally broke. So it was better than what was before, but it was hard to use. And then Gulp was like, oh, this is like the JavaScript I've always written. And it's doing all the things, same things Grunt did. I feel like that's browserify to the previous loading standards. It's like it does all the same things. It actually has a few better features. But a normal JavaScript semi-competent person can easily pull in external modules in, in a way that... And it's almost like composery. Like, all of a sudden, it, you could pull in packages before, but you needed to know all this auto-loading and stuff. With Composer, you just kind of like... You, you include your autoloader, you add it to commercial JSON, you, you know, and then that's it. I feel like Browserify simplifies bringing in external JavaScript packages for people who don't already know that world. Is that, is that how you? Yeah, I would totally. And people get confused by like module. What is module? Just think of a module as a file. You know, you don't have to complicate it much more than that. It just gives you an easy way to, to import various dependencies that you need. Um, yeah, it's funny about Grunt. Like maybe I'm crazy, but I always thought Grunt was a nightmare. Like, man, like, you had to research every single thing you wanted to do with Grunt. That's why Gulp was so amazing to me, because it was, like, the first uh, build tool, if you want to call it that, that made it just a little more intuitive. Like, okay, this is more or less what I'm trying to do. And what's cool about Elixir is, like, it takes it up a further notch where... So this is one nice thing, too, when you kind of integrate this stuff into a framework. I know a lot of people say, like, it's not the job of Laravel or Symfony or any framework to have knowledge of how this stuff works. But if you just step back and say, okay, well, why don't we just see what happens? You can assume defaults and folder structures and things like that, which turn these sorts of things into like ridiculously simple method calls. So, I mean, there are benefits to this stuff. And one one thing that this is totally horrible to say and controversial, but I think it's, for me personally, it's Laravel's job to make it faster for me to get from idea to at least prototype. And this is, so maybe that's not horrible, whatever, but like that's its job. Its job is not to be a PHP framework. Its job is to be a framework that I use to develop applications, whether they're rapid application development prototypes or whether it's final things. That's the job is to make it faster and better and, you know, more, you know, consistent and all kind of stuff. And do those things, these things meet that metric? If so, then great. And if not, then not great. And that, so to me, it's like, I totally get why we have Elixir here and I totally get why I have browser, potentially a Browserify because they meet those goals that I have for choosing and using this framework. So, mm -hmm. and I think sometimes people forget, like, you have to think of the 80%. You can't always listen to the 10 or 20% who say, well, I have this thing where it just doesn't fit my needs. It's like, okay, well, maybe, you, maybe you're not a good candidate for this. But you know what? For like 80% of people, it more than does the job. And that's who you have to be thinking about, not the the 4% who have a very special circumstance who can just use whatever you want. If you don't like Elixir, don't use it. Use something else. All right, we got one topic left. Integration testing or tools we use? Tools we use. What about the apps, Taylor, you go first, that you have open all day? Like the apps that are never not open. That's good. Okay, the apps I always have open are probably Sublime, GitHub for Mac, which is um, a GUI for obviously interfacing with GitHub, um, Slack for chatting on LaraChat, and then also a few other chats that, I, that I'm on, uh, TweetDeck, Skype, Telegram, um, and then Spotify, I would say, are always open. 
So you mostly have chat applications and stuff. Yeah, so about fifty percent chat, fifty percent time Skype, wasting chat, Telegram, some other chat stuff. Um, oh, and Sublime. Uh, for me, what is it for me? Well, yeah, I have Telegram open all the time. The weirdest thing happened: Taylor's wife and my wife became friends at some point. So, like, we have this group discussion. So strange. Where, the strangest yes, thing it's ever. It's so weird. There's a group discussion between me and my wife and Taylor and his wife, and it's always active every day. And it's a little weird, but we talk about the weirdest things. So, um, Telegram, Twitter for me, Sublime. Uh, I have an application called SQL Pro. Uh, just makes it really easy to deal with your databases. Uh, GitHub for Mac. I used to use the terminal for Git for everything. You know, I was one of those like, no, you use the, you're only professional if you use the terminal. And then if you just try out GitHub for Mac or Windows or whatever, it's so much better. It's so much easier to do like partial commits and things like that. So I have that open all the time. Um, what other tools do I use? I don't know. What What about you, Matt? So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat. I'm going to go up to my menu bar, too, because some of my more interesting ones are up there. But I've got um, Mailplane, which is an app that it's basically a single site browser that allows you to have multiple mail, uh, Gmail instances up and running. So I've got uh, I've, at points I've had like 15 different email addresses, uh, but I'm down to six right now. So that's a success for me. Um, I, I've been trying out Safari for personal browsing and I kind of have a love hate relationship with it. Chrome for development, busy Cal for calendars, although I'm really strongly considering, um, fantastical, um, I term with 10,000 tabs, each of which are split between a whole bunch of panels, uh, PHP storm, SQL pro iTunes, RDO. I uh, just recently switched back from Spotify to RDO. Um, Telegram. Oh, really? You switched back to RDO? Yeah. So I was using RDO for ages. I switched to Spotify because so many people had joined Spotify, but I really like the music discovery a lot better in RDO. So I feel like Spotify is great for playing music, um, but RDO is where I actually, I don't know why, how they surface information or their UI, but it's always where I find good music. So I ended up switching back there. Um, I recently also switched from the IRC client that everybody uses on Mac. I switched to LimeChat because I actually kind of like, which is weird. It's kind of like a backwards move, but it's, I like a little bit more about how I can customize the views in a way that I couldn't in the Mac one. Um, uh, Telegram, TweetBot, Slack, uh, IA Writer. I do all my scratch writing and all my blog posts and everything like that in IA Writer. I've got Cloud App. Um, which I recently tweeted about leaving because I was angry about their pricing, and then they gave amazing I know, discounts, me too. and I came back. So, I, so I, they, they changed their pricing. <laughs> I don't have any discounts. What? Uh, just you know, they they actually so in the email they was like kind of hidden. You get it if you're a previous cloud app user, you get like a fifty percent off discount on the outgoing price. So it ends up to like six dollars a month or something like that. Dropler ends up being five, six, seven, eight bucks a month. I found one that I liked called Kibako, I think, which you can back with your own either Dropbox or S three. So I was really excited because I'm like, oh, I own it. But it's more work and their the product clearly isn't as polished. So I tried that out and kind of switched back. So I'm back on cloud app for much less money. You know, one of my favorite little Mac apps I forgot to mention is this app called Bartender. Bartender's the best. Have y'all heard of that? Yes. So my Mac, my Mac menu bar, you know, usually when you have a Mac, um, a lot of people, they have like 20 icons up at like the top right menu bar. There's this app called Bartender who we should be charging for a sponsorship right now. It, it will take your menu bar down to basically just like the clock if you want it to. So it's like super minimal up at the top right and you don't have 50 bajillion 
icons up there bugging you all the time. It was always funny watching Jeffrey's videos because you know that for his videos, he changed his resolution to be much smaller. And then you'd look up in his screen and like the menu bar icons have like gone the whole way left to the <laughs> left side of the screen. You know, some dude bought me Bartender the other day. It's, nice. Like I actually, I had, uh, I tried Bartender out. I liked it perfectly fine. I just never bought it. And I guess like my menu bar offended him when he watched the videos. <laughs> so I got an email and he's like, yeah, I just went ahead and bought you that. So use that from now on. So I own Bartender now and I still forget to use it, but I, I think it's great. Well, all right, guys, I think we're we're at time for today. This is great. We actually have a couple more topics that we're going to push off to next next time. So a lot of good stuff coming for the next episode. All right. Well, thanks, guys. It's it great to talk to you and uh, take care. 